Welcome to episode 101 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This week, my featured guest is Dr. Josh Fader, a compassionate psychiatrist with more than three decades of experience and also a climate champion. He takes a special interest in helping children and families living with autism. He works with caregivers, schools, and other medical providers to ensure the child has everything they need to succeed. He served his internship and psychiatry residency at the Naval Hospital in San Diego. Dr. Fader has been awarded a wide range of accolades and awards for both his medical practice and service in the United States Navy. Outside of his practice, Dr. Fader recently authored the highly acclaimed Child Medication Factbook for Psychiatric Practice and serves as Editor-in-Chief at Carlat Child Psychiatry Report. He actively volunteers in communities affected by armed conflict, including the Middle East, Northern Ireland, and the Balkans. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat. I'm here with Josh Fader, Medical Director at Positive Development, Editor-in-Chief of the Carlet Child Psychiatry Report, Global Advisory Board Member for Our World 2, and Minion, one of the many minions of Al Gore's Climate Reality Project, plus another dozen organizations. Josh, welcome to the Climate Champions. Lee, I can't tell you how happy I am to be here. You're like my hero. Get out of here. It is true. Ah, you're my hero. (laughs) Josh, let's start with where your climate change mitigation journey began. The skies over Buffalo and the polluted streams of Pennsylvania. I mean, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Western New York and Western Pennsylvania. We lived in a mining town and we played in these streams where when you got out of the stream, your legs were covered with this like stuff. It was, it was like from the sulfur mines, right? It was just disgusting and it smelled terrible. We got, we got out of there, went to Buffalo, or back to Buffalo. I was born in Niagara Falls. My dad worked in Niagara Falls. They had the most beautiful sunsets and, and you know why. By the way, I was born where Love Canal is. You know Love Canal? It's like one of the first toxic waste dumps. I mean, there's still stuff there. Josh, how are you still here? I know, right? Well, probably explains a few things like genetic mutations. Anyway, so born in Love Canal, we we end up in Pennsylvania in a mining town. We go back to Buffalo where the skies are beautiful because of all the heavy industry. It was just beautiful, (laughs) toxic, but beautiful. So I kind of grew up in that. When I was in college, then I actually worked at my dad's plant in the summertime in Niagara Falls, this heavy industrial plant where you had to wear a respirator and like you'd breathe in and this white mask that would start out there would be like black when you kind of got out of the, you know, off the shift work. And, you know, at the same time, as you know, there's like this confluence between the industrial revolution and a lot of genocides and bad things to black and people of color and stuff like that. Also in college, I kind of learned about and made the connection between the Industrial Revolution and, and the Holocaust, where I lost a lot of family. And previously in 
growing up in Pennsylvania, we got actually I killed Jesus as it turns out. Did you know this? Mm. After Easter, yeah. Like they went after us and I got hit with a brick in the head and it knocked me out. So there's and you're this whole still thing. here. This I'm is amazing. So this whole thing about trauma, right? That starts in my life. It's sort of it's it's in my family from back, you know, everybody dying. And then there's like, you know, the part growing up when I killed Jesus. So I got, you know, my head cracked. And then uh, learning more about it, understanding it more when I was uh, in college, this confluence between the Industrial Revolution and, and genocide, the Holocaust, stuff like that. And now, you know, closer, you know, to where we are, I met this guy. Um, I was in this Indian princesses group. How terrible is that in terms of like cultural appropriation? But I'm in this group and I'm kind of hanging out with this guy. He's got two daughters, whatever. And it turns out he's like the bee's knees in climate stuff. And it's around the same time we're getting these fires and like we get displaced a couple times and there's like smoke and all this kind of stuff. And then, by the way, there's a lot of hate in Southern California too. And so I'm kind of involved these days in equity and healthcare. And we got these fires happening. But this guy, his name's Cravat. I don't know if you know. He's like the guy who understands this. And so it's really knowing you that primed me to know when Dave McGugan started Our World 2 that I knew I had to jump in because this was Our World 2 is my opportunity to really do something that might be substantive about climate change. You're involved with so many important efforts to help others. What drives you to include climate change mitigation and how are you trying to engage others? Well, you know, the place is burning up. It's obvious, right? I mean, and I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist and air pollution creates anxiety and the climate issues create anxiety and, and people are paralyzed often. They don't know what to do. And our world too is kind of an antidote to that. The idea of our world too is that you've got a lot of companies doing a lot of things. Actually, the solutions are out there, right? Al Gore training, you know, kind of shows you that we've got solutions if we implement them we can do something about climate change. It's not like we have to invent all the technology. A lot of it's there. You know better than me, but a lot of it's apparently there. But if you can get 8 billion people off the friggin' dime to do something about it, that's going to be necessary, at least some of them. So the idea of Our World too is to create a platform that reaches only a tenth of the world's population. Only like a tenth. Only a tenth, 800 billion. With the idea that if you reach... 800 million people, maybe one in 10 will pick up a damn piece of trash, right? Of those 800 million, that's 80 million. Maybe one out of 100 will do something a little bit more eco-friendly. Like I, I bought a new briefcase and it was made out of, I don't know, something used instead of a cow. Yeah, that, that's, that's a move, you know, maybe one in 100 people will do something like that, 8 million people. Well, maybe 800,000 will do something a little bit more. Maybe they'll invest in a stock. So it's one of a thousand people might invest in a stock or something like that that's more substantive, you know, doing something a little bit more. One in 10,000, right? So 80,000 people. Can you get that many people to do something like take, you know, be an Al Gore minion, right? I don't know how many he has right now. It probably has like 40, 50,000 people right now. But you get a whole bunch of people who are listening, Gen Z, millennial, you know, that kind of thing. 15 hours, you learn a whole bunch of stuff, you know, to get a little bit more involved, a little bit more politically active, maybe making a few phone calls. Okay. And then if you can get one in one in a hundred thousand of these 800 million, that's like 8,000 people 
who might be real transformative people like you, like you, Lee. You're one of those transformative people. That's why it's such a... Like you. You're one of those transformative people. Well, I'm not so sure. I, I think I'm more of a minion so far. I, I aspire to be you, but I'm not you yet. You give me a hard time. <laughs> it's, but it's true. You just... Does anybody ever realize who the hell they're talking with when they're on this podcast? I mean, seriously. Anyway, okay, enough, so, so the, idea of, the idea of our world, too, is to try to build this platform that brings everybody together because nobody's actually doing it. There's a lot of really good stuff happening out there, a lot of good stuff on the Internet. You can look up eco jobs, but there's nobody who's actually creating a platform to bring it all together. And that's what our world, too, is all about. So I got involved with that. When Dave McGugan said, we're going to do this, I'm like, okay, I want to do it with you. I didn't know if he'd be successful. I didn't mean, know if he knew what he was doing. I actually got some really good people involved, and, and, and he'll get you involved. But I did it because, because I saw that it's possible because of you. Well, I, I don't know what to say. I, instead, I'll bring up my daughter, and she's been telling me that I need to have something on my website where... I talk about everything that people can do, even if I just point them to other locations. I've been lazy about that, but now I have some place to point them and there are a lot of other places I can point them. So I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do it instead of being lazy about that. So thank you. Well, that'd be great. And, and we'll put you on our website. And again, there's these different levels of engagement. Again, trying to create a real core of human activity that's moving in this direction. Not just people kind of passively sitting around worrying. And so from the mental health standpoint, that's perfect, right? Giving people a way to act and whatever level that, you know, is going to work out for them. And that's kind of the our world two thing. The other thing is Steve, my, my brother-in-law, he's my new brother-in-law, right? So, right, right. So, so my wife, right, Karen, my wife, she tells me, you know, for our anniversary about four years ago, we get ancestry done and yada, yada, yada. I turned out to be like a couple percent Irish, which was really cool for me because I've been going to Ireland doing peace building stuff. You talk about my other jobs, peace building stuff for a number of years. So I was like, well, that's great. I'm not just some Ashkenazi Jewish kid. I'm this guy who's a little bit Irish. And it's like, it's like when you put cream in coffee, it changes everything. So I'm going there and I'm part Irish, which is awesome. Well, she turned out to be sort of more like, Iberian Peninsula, so Latina-ish. Yeah. But at the same time, I signed up to find relatives and I didn't tell her about it. And this guy contacts us. Steve turns out computer science guy, full brother, never knew about him. But that's a whole story and it's turned the family upside down. Some people don't know yet. Maybe they'll listen to the podcast. <laughs> now they'll know. But Steve, it turns out his passion these days is particulate matter. So he's developing devices that sense particular matter. So if you're going to buy a house or something, you kind of want to know if you're near a place where if you're breathing the air, your kids are going to end up with asthma or anxiety or whatever. So he kind of really turned me on even more to the clear connections, especially between mental health and air pollution. And of course, living in Southern Cal, which we do, that's like a thing. So uh, Steve, Steve's another driver. You and Steve. So you said, it's obvious, we're burning. Well, what happens when you meet people that don't believe that we're burning and they think this is just the normal activity, they don't think climate change is a real thing? How do you talk to them about it? Well, so here's the thing. There are a number of places in my life where I hang around with people who have an entirely different view of the world. You know the four corners exercise? You know what I'm talking about? No, tell it's me. When, it's, it's when you get four people they are shoulder to shoulder in like a square 
facing out. So you have like four people each facing out in a different direction. If they're in a room, they could be each facing a different wall. And you tell them, look straight ahead and tell me what you see. And especially if you're in a room with a bunch of people, one person will see, like in my office, I can see like a picture, you know, one, a, it's an American flag picture in front of me um, done by adults with autism. It's gorgeous. The, the person facing this way is going to see like my clock, my picture of me and my dog, the air conditioner. The person looking this way is going to see the blinds and the person behind me. They're going to see your fancy diplomas. <laughs> well, uh, they're going to see my license to practice in Solana Beach and my most recent uh, appointment, which is to the, as an adjunct professor at Anajah National University in Nablus, that's the West Bank, they call Palestine, which is a whole story in and of itself. But those four people will see absolutely different things. If you ask them what they see, they have entirely different realities. And so sometimes I'm sitting in a room with people. If they knew who I was, they would, they would want me dead. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, you do peace building. You got to hang out with people who might not like you. So you don't always tell them everything. <laughs> that's, that's a rule. And so you can't always talk with everybody about everything, but it really is incumbent upon you to try to see the world through their eyes. So I don't start by trying to convince somebody that, you know, the world is round when they think the world is flat. I just try to see the world through their eyes and understand it as best as I can and then think about how I might work with that in a productive way at some point. And the other piece to that is, so there's a lot of people who they don't believe in climate change because it's like a political position, something like that. They don't believe in the virus. They don't believe in vaccines. They don't believe in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which if you read it, it's amazing. But America, you know, the United States is the only country or territory on the planet that doesn't adhere to the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. I'm trying to convince the Senate. The Senate has to ratify it two thirds, but we can't get you know certain people. I was thinking under Trump, I was going to get it done. You know why? Because if Trump knew that Obama couldn't get it done, Trump might have gotten it done. And he would have been right to do it, actually. But you can't do it now because, you know, it's Biden and the Democrats and they can't get enough Republicans. Point is, I don't try to convince somebody who's not going to be convinced. What I do, however, is I do try to speak in language such that people who are undecided might be able to think about it and maybe be more likely to accept the possibility that climate change is real. Because there's a lot of people who are undecided. In, in most of these issues, you have, you know, maybe 10% of people who are really driven, like you, like me, right? And then you have maybe 10% or so who are really driven, but on the absolute other side. I mean, absolutely, right? And then you got all these people in between, a range, a rainbow of people in between. And it's the rainbow who you really need to talk with. So as another example, and then we'll figure out one for climate change. Right here, right now, you and I will figure out the words that we would speak with, uh, to people about with climate change. Because with people who like are on campus and they're you know, saying all Jews are baby killers and you know, stuff like that, what we train kids to do is to say the truth. The truth is everyone deserves safety and peace. It's true, everyone deserves safety and peace. And so for the people who hate you, they're going to still hate you. They're not going to change their mind. But for the people who are reasonable, well, they understand that that's the truth. Everyone deserves safety and peace. So you might not convince them that minute that you're not a baby killer, but you might convince them that there is some common ground to start with, to really start pulling things apart and having a discussion rather than 
canceling each other out and not letting each other speak and calling people bad names and, and things like that. So right here, right now, Lee, the words that we might use to, well, we do improv, you're an improv guy. The words that we might use with, they call it Cranky Uncle. There's this whole series, Cranky Uncle, how you talk. I actually got the Cranky Uncle book, but I got bored reading it. It's kind of like a kid's book almost, but I got bored. So we're going to have to make something else up. We're going to make up our own meme. Well, everyone deserves safety and peace. What's, what's like a, a, a similar moniker that would have to do with a planet that is habitable? Everyone deserves a habitable planet. Well, that's not going to go over any well. That, that's too big a word, habitable. Habitable. Say that fast. We want people to be able to remain on the planet in a healthy way. How about this? Let's start with this. Everybody wants to live here. We could agree that everybody wants, well, most people <laughs> want to live on Earth. Not everybody. Actually, a lot of us don't want to live on Earth. A lot of us would like to find another I don't place. think we're doing a very good job with this, Josh. <laughs> this, is, this is why it's work. I mean, e Elon and Bezos might get us to another planet, but not, not, not enough of us soon enough. Most of us want to live here, and most of us want to live here for a long time. How about that? Let's start with that. Most of us want to live here, and most of us want to live here for a long time. I mean, we want our kids, if we decide to have them, to live here too. So how do we figure out how to live here? So one of the things we do is we're mean to people we don't like, but that's not going to work. We all want to live here, and we all want to live here a long time. How do we make that happen? Whether you think that the things happening around us, all the storms and stuff, are from the Anthropocene, you know, whether, whether they're man-made or not, we have to figure out what to do about the storms. Can we all agree that we have to do something about the storms? And then maybe we can start from there. And maybe people who aren't sure about whether this is man-made will at least help us study the storms and do stuff to handle that. Or, or, or there's a lot of fires. Maybe we can start partnering with people about the obvious things without attaching them yet to man-made stuff, but just look for solutions and then we'll get there over time with some of the people, knowing that there are going to be people who just want to make a quick buck, they don't want to pay taxes, and they're going to screw everybody and let us all die. A lot of what you're talking about is going to take some time. And one of my concerns, Josh, is that we may not have that kind of time. We're already seeing a big uptick in these kind of events that you're talking about. Well, that, that's why we need something like OW2, because OW2 only takes a tenth of the world's population, and it's mostly Gen Zers who care, by the way, you know this, um, uh, th that demographic as well as millennials care more about the environment. You know, it tends to be somewhat older people with more stuff who seem to be voting, you know, we don't believe in this kind of thing. A lot of those people that are on Twitter and Instagram, they're being told that it's really a government problem and a business, a big business problem, and that the solution has to come from there. And that's actually a big concern that people are starting to think there's nothing they can do. It's business's fault, it's government's fault, and technology needs to find a solution. Did I mention OW2? So, so there are the solutions, and what we need to do is we need to teach enough people. So we're not going to teach everybody, but we need to teach enough people that there are solutions and get enough of them engaged. Look, look, look at what happens in our, in our society already. A few of us pay taxes, and... Those few of us who pay taxes pay for all the vaccines, pay for all the public services for the people who can't do it, all that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't take everybody to save the planet, but it does take enough individuals to save the planet. So it's not going to take 
8 billion, 8 billion aren't going to participate. It doesn't take 800 million because 800 million aren't going to participate. It does take 80 million. And of those 80 million, a smaller subset to do a lot more. And so we have to find those people. We have to give them opportunities to do more. Have I mentioned OW2? You mentioned it a lot. Yeah. That's the whole idea. You're right. We have to accelerate. We need to create an accelerator. That's what we're doing. Create an accelerator to connect people, to get enough of them lifting enough, kind of like, you know, the small subset of American middle income taxpayers who pay for everything, the whole lift to make this country sort of run haphazardly at times. We need a similar subset of people on the planet who are going to do the work to implement the solutions, many of which are already there. Green buildings, green buildings that don't take a lot of power, like in Germany, right? They have these buildings that they know how to breathe and move the air just because of their architecture, you know, putting plants, stick plants on the roofs. Okay, how hard can that be? How hard can it be to change the blacktop to white asphalt? I asked Todd Glory, you know, our mayor, I was with him just about a month ago. My wife, Karen, is crazy about the problem of dogs in the summer on the street and burning their paws. And it is San Diego, right? And, and we know that in the poor neighborhoods of LA, where they don't have as many trees, the temperatures are a lot hotter. And if you're a dog and you're on the street, it's a lot worse. If you got shade, you're in better shape. So her big thing is, you know, can we get streets that aren't blacktop that are increasing the temperature and burning the dog's feet? So I asked Todd, and he's talking about, you know, we hardly have the money to do it. We hardly have the money to do it. We have to kind of reposition our money somehow so that the streets are white, not black. And so they reflect the sun and get more trees there. He does want to get more trees. Todd's a good guy. He does want more trees, but we need more than trees. We need to change. We have the solutions, Lee. We just have to have enough people supportive enough to do the things that we already know we can do to turn this around. You brought money into this discussion. Another barrier to climate change mitigation? In some of the states that the writing seemed to be on the wall that they need to start changing their economies away from coal, for instance. They did it because they knew, they knew, in air quotes, that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be tenable in the next you know, 20 or 50 years, and they had to change. So some of those changes started to occur. And that if you're looking at stocks and you're investing and you're trying to make money, the, the losers these days are fossil fuel industries. You don't make money investing in fossil fuels anymore. So... There are some things that have changed and smart investors will hopefully steer clear of dud stocks like fossil fuels. Wouldn't that be nice? Look, I understand that economics rule in the United States and in the world, and also that we may not be able to ram action down people's throats, but I'm very concerned that we just don't have the time anymore to focus on memes to get everyone in the boat. A year ago, I wouldn't be saying this, but I think we need to be bolder and act more urgently. We just don't have the time. Well, I, I agree, and, and I'm on the same page there, but I, I want you to acknowledge, I just want you to acknowledge, Lee, <laughs> that there are going to be people who aren't going to get on board the ark, okay? Like, like um, you know, so the half of my family that left Eastern Europe, we're alive, right? There's another half, they were going to stay in their homes, they were going to stick it out and see what happened, and they didn't make it, you know what I mean? So I'm not saying that those people aren't going to make it because the rest of us are going to save their asses. We damn well better in terms of climate change. But we're just going to have a lot of people who are not going to be on board. And we have to figure out a way around that. We have to figure out how to 
there's no choice. And we have a split electorate in the US and that's not gonna get easier because the seams on which we're split are gonna grow a little bit wider. And part of that has to do with the rise of non-Caucasian populations creating a threatened feeling among Caucasian populations. I think that's a big part of it. Um, that's going to create more of this. So I don't expect that politically we're going to all come together kumbaya. I don't think that's possible. What I do think is necessary and has to be possible is that we convince enough of the people who are kind of in the middle to come along with us by starting out where they are with something reasonable like most of us want to live here. Most of us want to live here for a long time. And if we have kids and grandkids, we'd like them to be able to live here too. Let's start with that and see where we can go. But in the meantime, that doesn't mean that we don't get our 800 million people on our app and then one out of 10 taking up a piece of trash and, and then getting those 8,000 we're really going to transform like you. We have to do this and we're going to lift the other people up. It's our choice, but it's, our, it's a necessity. I don't disagree, but we have a lot of people on board now. And because we're short on time, we might be better off putting most of our resources on the team we've already built. I'm just seeing how fast this is happening and how it affects people. How is it affecting you and what you do and the people around you and the world? With the warming of the environment, the tropical you know, areas getting bigger and tropical diseases are kind of cropping. We have, we have, um, uh, like more risk of things like malaria now in places like San Diego. It's crazy, right? So we're the disease is really changing. So the pandemic, I think, is in part possibly a reflection of, of climate change. That we're going to have more and more, if not this pandemic, uh, more and more new diseases as uh, time goes on that we're going to have to be grappling with. So that's one of the big issues of the pandemic. The other thing the pandemic does is it accentuates the differences between populations in terms of equity, right? So the haves do a lot better than the have-nots. You can, you know, get your health care at Walter Reed and get the latest treatment, hydrochloroquine, steroids, maybe monoclonal antibodies. But if you live in the wrong part of town, you might not get that stuff. And climate change does the same thing. I mean, the people who are getting the worst of it in New Orleans are the people who don't have the money to leave or stuck in the neighborhoods that are most at risk. It's a very similar kind of process. Can you talk about your prior background? Well, really briefly. So I started out in biomedical engineering, mathematics, and kind of got into brain theory. I was always going to go to medical school. The Navy put me through. I ended up doing a lot with uh, autism spectrum disorder. Then I had a kid with autism. And then I've been doing teaching and research and some tech work. And now I do a lot of policy work. I'm pretty proud of that. Can you discuss some of the successes you're most proud of and some of the setbacks? Well, you know, I think I see my military service as a huge part of my life. I'm really proud to have served in the U.S. Navy. I got my commission in 81. I got out in 96. And I felt really good about, about the ethics that we learned and taught in the military and a lot of the work we did. It had problems. It was the don't ask, don't tell, you know, part of history. So there were some issues there. But overall, I felt really, really grateful and proud to live in America. And of course, I've been to places that have been horrible. And so even though we have a lot of problems in this country, big ones, you can hardly imagine. You can't even talk freely on the street in some of these places where I go to. Let's talk about setbacks first. So my biggest setback was, you know, I studied autism 
11 years into it, my son was born and, and he has autism, he's autistic. And it turned out my dad is too, uh, I've been accused. But that really, that really changed our lives. You know, how we, and he's a, he's a great kid and, and a great engineer actually, misunderstood, but brilliant and kind and wonderful. But it changed everything that we did. It was really expensive. We paid, you know, tons of money. And so kind of getting back to my successes, the thing that I've done now is I started a company, helped start a company. Well, I helped inspire a company and now I'm the medical director called Positive Development, where we bring the kind of treatment that I got my son, which was kind and developmental treatment. You know, this is the world, there's a $17 billion industry of trying to tell kids how to behave. And like they call that autism treatment. It actually doesn't work very well. You see that they say, well, we have all the research. It turns out the research is flawed. But if you actually help people be who they want to be, they have better, more meaningful lives. And so my company does that, but it brings it to people who otherwise couldn't afford it. So I feel really good about being in the military. I feel really good about creating that company that now gives people what I worked really hard to give my kid and a lot of people otherwise couldn't get. And I also feel really good about um, the joint letter that I helped negotiate during the last Hamas-Israel conflict about children and uh, the needs of children on all sides of the conflict to be cared for and to have safety and peace. Oh, and I feel really good about OW2. Have I mentioned OW2? You have. I feel really good about it and I really want it. I need it. We need it. When you look at the Earth in the future, where are we in 30 years? Have we survived climate change? Everything good? We have no choice but to win this battle. So I cannot envision failure. I, I find it unacceptable because to do otherwise is to fail. So I don't have a choice but to envision success and to work for it and to try to encourage people to work for it. What does success look like? Uh, it looks like no carbon fuel emissions or very few. It looks like a lot more trees. It looks like water conservation, like they do in Israel, by the way, that's like 95%. So there is no drought. Things are a lot more greener. The, the, the roads are white, not black cod. The dogs are happier, stuff like that. My successful future looks like we have a lot more fires and flooding and droughts, but even though it affects a lot of people in a lot of horrible ways, we come out of it into a place where we have a handle on everything and we see a path toward everything getting better. That's as good as I can see right now. That's bad, huh? Well, to your point, we're going to see more bad stuff before we see good stuff. Has the pandemic changed your perspective on the future of the Earth? The pandemic reminds me that we've learned nothing as human beings. If you go read The, the Great Pandemic, which is a really nice study of World War I era and that pandemic, and, and you see the same things happening. It's like Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. People are going to be idiots. There have to be enough people to somehow get us through. That's the lesson of the pandemic is that we're still idiot primates, pretty much. What advice do you have for people that want to help? Have I mentioned this company? Our world too? Our world too. My advice is, if you're going to make this better, get involved, try to be a role model and try to, try to inspire somebody. My question is, I'm making buttons. They're, they're from our world too. I can show them to you, but this isn't a, a video. Uh, it's a podcast. They say, are you going to be one in 100 or one in 10,000? That's the question. We need that group of people who will devote their careers 
They're going to be the transformative 8,000 or so people, but we need the 80,000. Are you going to be one in 100 who picks up a damn piece of trash? Or are you going to be one in 10,000? I'm not asking you to be the transformative person. Not everybody's going to do that. But are you going to at least devote your career? Because if you're not going to do that, who are you? If not now, when, they said, right? If not now, when? Not now, when? Do you have any questions for me? What is the meme that you come up with? So we came up with a little bit of one. We all want to live here. And most of us want to live here. And most of us for a long time. You got a meme, you got a simple phrase, you got a way to encapsulate this to motivate people and get them involved. That's what I want to know. I want to know what you say when to that same question. What's your, what's your meme? I don't have a meme. I don't have a soundbite. You've convinced me to think about how to talk about this in a way that more people can get around. I know you have a patient in the waiting room. Anything else? I just want to say the truth, which is you inspire me. Wow. Thank you. That really does mean a lot. And thank you for everything you're involved with, from climate change to bringing peace to our world. You really do inspire me. But we're out of time. So let me wrap this up with a wrap. Right. A wrap. It sounds like you still have bad Pennsylvania dreams because of the sulfur on your body while swimming in the streams. Maybe we can use that image for making up some memes. You are my friend and neighbor, an Indian princess pal, but I never knew about the toxic sunsets at Love Canal. Because you were Jewish, you were always under attack. They threw a brick at you. Does your head still have that crack? But was it really worse than the plant respirator turning black? When it comes to climate change, some people don't believe, but the fact of DNA, they prove out it's your brother Steve. Sounds like I signed you up early at the beginning. Maybe back then I shaped your opinion, but now you're part of another dominion, the Climate Reality Project. You're an Al Gore minion. Your wife Karen is very concerned about Blacktop Street because of climate change and your dog's feet. What we need is white asphalt or at least shade from a tree. Josh says take action now. How hard can it be? He leads positive development, an autistic treatment company, so autistic kids in need can be who they want to be. Negotiated Hamas Israeli Agreement for Children, one more Josh Fave, he is also proud of his time in the U.S. Navy. I so admire you, Josh, all the positive things you do, especially your climate focus with our world, too. Even if you're one of a hundred, you can get involved now, like Josh buying a briefcase not made from a cow. Go to our world, too, to figure out how you talk to being one of a thousand again and again but i respect the urgency if not now when we can't convince everyone and that can be tough but we just need to teach and engage enough you and your wife invite the whole neighborhood to your seder thanks for all you do for the world josh and karen fader <laughs> i forgot all about that part that's great that's great that was really fun thank you Because he mentioned it, well, just a few times, I thought I'd give a shout out to Our World 2. For more information, check out the Facebook page, Our World 2. That's the Digit 2 official. I would love to see this effort thrive. We need as many one out of a hundred thousands as we can get, and as many one out of a hundreds, since it's all Our World 2. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. 
And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. While I appreciate Josh giving me some of the credit for his early involvement in climate change mitigation, it's obvious from his actions that he chooses to dedicate his time where it can make the most impact, helping people with mental disorders, taking a special interest in children and families living with autism, aiding communities affected by armed conflict, and helping to mitigate climate change. (music) 